0: We are going to be talking about joy today, um, we'll second fruit of the Spirit in the list. And I was reading this week that joy is the foundation of our identity, and really it's about resilience. Doctors say that our neural pathways are wired as, as a result of our early experiences of joy. Without a strong foundation of joy, we struggle for identity and are crippled by shame, person goes on to say, it's no wonder that Scripture declares the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's why it's so important to have a relationship with God through Christ because God allows us to be joyful at all times and all circumstances. And perhaps you've heard it a million times, perhaps you've never heard it, but the difference between joy and happiness is that happiness is based upon happenings, your circumstances. Joy is independent of circumstances. Joy is something that we can have in the midst of trial and challenge. That's why James writes, you know, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Paul writes in Romans, knowing that God works all things together for good. He writes again in Philippians, knowing that God is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, and, and that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. On and on and on, we read about the Spirit-empowered life in order to experience the fruit that God has for us. And I was reflecting this week, like, what is a really good illustration about joy? Um, Because I, I really wanted to emphasize that joy is, in my opinion, all about focus. It is all about where your focus is. And I, I really felt like, you know, not to be like all weird, whatever, but I felt like God gave this to me because it's way better than anything I want to come up on my own with. But, but God was like reminding me of smartphones. And I was thinking, you know, before the advent of smartphones, there really weren't a lot of selfies taking place. And, and now wherever you go, there are people that are just all day long in front of their phone, posing, trying to get that best, you know, angle and capture the right moment for social media and everything else. And there's nothing wrong with that to a degree. But when you're doing that 24-7, but I thought, you know, the problem with our generation is that we have a whole ton of people that are pointing the camera in the wrong direction. They're pointing it at themselves rather than all of the beautiful things around us that outward focus of being able to see the beauty of God's creation, uh, the beauty of, of, of the presence of God in a friend or in, even in a stranger. There are so many things to be joyful about, and when we become self-absorbed and self-focused, it's really easy to lose our joy because we become consumed with all of our inadequacies and our inabilities and the things that we wish were different that we feel like we have to change or that we have to hide or people aren't going to like us, they're not going to accept us, and it's all about us. And it comes from this just self-focused view rather than looking out. And that really, in my mind, is what joy is all about that I want to capture today. William Barclay, the famous commentator, said, Joy has nothing to do with material things. Or with a person's outward circumstance. A person living in the lap of luxury can be wretched. And likewise a person in the depths of poverty can overflow with joy. Joy really is independent of what is going on around, uh, around us. Eugene Peterson said, Centering life in the insatiable demands of the ego is the sure path to doom. A life confined... To self is a prison, a joy-killing, neurosis-producing, disease-fomenting prison. And finally, my favorite quote comes from Helen Keller. She says, there is joy in self-forgetfulness, in not focusing on self. So I try to make the light in others' eyes my sun, the music in others' ears my symphony. The smile on others' lips, my happiness. Talk about a person who had no earthly reason to be joyful. Finding the joy in things because it wasn't all about her. It was about her being able to take in what was going on around her and to be able to, to draft on that and to find joy in that. Joy is all about our focus. Galatians 5, and 23 is the theme for our study, the theme passage, where Paul says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today, week two, we're talking about joy. And I actually want you to turn, or you can listen, uh, to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4. 1 John 1, 1 to 1-4, is at the end of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation, uh, right toward the end there, the first letter of John the Apostle, uh, the Apostle, chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what he writes, and I want you to notice as we read this, it's incredibly repetitive, but he's driving home some central points that we're going to unpack today. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. And we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. The New American Standard Version says, so that your joy may be complete. So there's a lot going on here. He's talking about not just a, a teaching or a doctrine or a principle, the word of life. He's talking about a person. Jesus is the word of life. He's the word of God. John chapter 1, his, his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all of the cults pick that apart and say, well, he wasn't really God, he was a God, and we're all going to be gods. And that's another sermon for another time, but that's completely bogus. Jesus is God in human flesh. That's what we believe as Christians And that's the testimony that we have heard and that we have seen, and that, as they say here continually, we proclaim. When you've heard this, when you've seen this, when you've touched this, when you've beheld this, it's something you want to shout from the rooftops. It's something you want to proclaim. Like our experience at Easter at the cross. You know, you don't, like, experience that and then just kind of sit on your hands and Think, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, sit in church until Jesus comes back and wait and pray for that day. No, you want to go out and you want to tell as many people as you can the good news. And that's what we're talking about today. The gospel is good news. I think about the the message of the angels and the gospel of Luke to the shepherds in the field. You know, they're they're singing from the heavens, proclaiming a good news for all people. It was accessible. It wasn't for the spiritually Uh, elite, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, you know. No, it was for all people, even for common people. A great news of great joy for all people. And that's the gospel. The gospel is accessible. It's a story of how God achieved salvation for us and offers it to us as a free gift. I love the quote that we talked about last week in relation to love by Philip Yancey. Nothing you, you anymore, nothing you can do will make god love you any more and nothing you could do would make god love you any less and it's exciting because i've already had people tell me in the last week how they remembered that and it's funny how people can forget the whole sermon but remember one quote and it sticks with them and they used it and they used it in a number of conversations and they were they were thrilled that they were armed with that truth and with that encouragement but how how uh, how beautifully that Um, distills the essence of the gospel. That it's not about what we do that makes God love us more or less. It's about His grace. It's about the relationship that He has initiated with us through Jesus. I found some powerful words uh, of a man who lived in the third century. I think it's anonymous. I don't know that there was a particular individual. But a man in the third century wrote this. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world but i have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life they are despised and persecuted but they care not they are masters of their souls they have become uh, they have overcome the world these people are the Christians, and I am now one of them. An early convert all the way back in the third century who had discovered a joy like he had never known before, a joy that surpassed and just eclipsed any earthly passion and pleasure that he had sought after in his flesh. And he testified. That was his testimony. Number one, joy comes as a result of our message. Joy results from our message, the message that we have seen and heard that we want to proclaim to others. Jesus is that message. The essence of that message is the gospel about how men and women and boys and girls can have eternal life, can have a restored relationship with with God through Jesus and what Jesus did at the cross. Joy, first and foremost, comes from our message. Secondly, joy is a result of our relationship. Our our new relationship with God that we are no longer seen as sinners but we are seen as redeemed, restored, reconciled. Joy, as one person said, or happiness of the heart can no more be attained without God than light and sunshine can be had without the sun. Happiness is heavenly born. Joy is heavenly born. It is the aroma of heaven. It leads. To heaven and its emblem is heaven. On every side in every part of the universe, men and women are seeking joy and cannot find it because they do not seek it from God. And how true that is. We seek happiness. We we seek joy in things. In material possessions. In material blessings. And joy is found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus who is the Christ. It's all about a relationship with God through Jesus. And this relationship is what brings joy. I was reading the personal testimony of Malcolm Muggeridge. He was a a British journalist and writer and Christian apologist. And he says, "I, I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness. Interesting. And he says, for this discovery, I am beholden to Jesus. I never knew what joy was really like until I gave up my search and my yearning for happiness. And he said, I owe this to Jesus and my relationship with him. What a testimony. What a powerful thing. Joy is found in a person, not in a concept, not in a principle, not in a theology, but in the person of Jesus. And as I said, we've been reconciled, we've been redeemed, we've been restored back into relationship with God through Jesus and through the work on the cross. I love what Hebrews 12.2 talks about, and we've discussed this before. Hebrews 12.2, whoever wrote it, we think the Apostle Paul, but we're not really sure. It's inspired by God, so it doesn't really matter. But Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And... Theologians and apologists speculate and wonder, what was the joy set before Him? What was it that Jesus looked forward to that He didn't already have in His divinity? And the only answer to that is our restored relationship with God through His death. We were alienated from God. We were separate from God. And yet, as Paul wrote in Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ bridged the gap between our sin and God's holiness and made a path or a way back to God. And that was the joy that was set before Jesus, knowing that we could be in fellowship once again, that our sins wouldn't separate us, that we could share eternal life with Him throughout all of eternity. That was the joy. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's a similar uh, passage exactly like this before the fruit of the Spirit, talking about all the horrible, evil things that we do and how anyone who practices those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it switches and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Paul's doing a similar thing here. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Now, I want to say from the outset, there's a lot of stuff in here that might be offensive to some of you. And I get it. Because it's hard for us to reconcile a loving God and the people in our lives that we love that might do some of these things. But at the at the end of the day, we all do a lot of this stuff. And we're all sinners. All sin is the same. And all sin separates us from God. And so you don't... You don't uh, rationalize the sin and say, well, it's not really sin. It can't really be wrong. You, You say, for all of it, I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of someone to heal me. So Paul says, those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people... The list could go on and on and we've already found a number of these things that characterize us or at least how we used to be. He says none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I love verse 11. And some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And Paul was not saying That because you're saved and you're cleansed that you never still sin because there's still a lot of horrible things that we do that are unrepresentative of our new life with God. But the truth is is that those things don't keep us from eternal life and from fellowship with Him because they're paid for. They're forgiven. And that's what it means to be a believer. That's what we rejoice in, this new relationship that we have. Brendan Manning, who I, I followed for years until he died a few years ago, wrote a ton of books, um, great author, great, um, great person of God. He was interviewed, and I like what he said in that interview. He said, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, nor between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. What's he mean by that? He says, when somebody is aware of that love, that same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of their interior life. And the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then we become grateful. We're grateful and that makes us joyful. And so, friends, this, this new relationship that we have with God through Jesus, it ought to produce just a ton of inexpressible gratitude for the grace and mercy that's been given to us. And that gratitude yields itself in joy. There's just no other way to contain it or express it, but just joy. C.S. Lewis described it in his autobiography as surprised by joy. Joy just came and, and blindsided him, The skeptic, that as in his own words came fighting and kicking and screaming and looking for every way out. Uh, but, but God just enveloped him with love and grace, and he couldn't resist it. And it changed his life. It transformed him as, as well as tons of other people. I was reading a guy named Robert Roberts this week. He was an English writer, and he was quoted in Christianity Today, and I, I love what he says because it's so spot on. He said, "...the fruits of the Spirit..." Uh, of the Holy Spirit, are sustained interaction with God. So the fruit of the Spirit is the result of sustained interaction with God. Just as a child picks up traits simply by dwelling in the presence of their parent, so the Christian develops tenderheartedness, compassion, humility, forgiveness, joy, and hope through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That is, by dwelling in the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son. And this means, to a very large extent, living in a community of serious believers. So the fruit of the Spirit is forged and developed within us through sustained interaction with God. And as he says, through being a part of a community where people are serious about their faith. It's not just about, you know, pretending that we have a relationship with God or acting Christian on the outside. It's like, what's the point unless we're all in? This is either something I'm I'm fully committed to and I'm willing to die for because it's changed and transformed my life and it's given me a hope and a purpose or it's all just a, a game that I play for other people. And if that's it, then what's the point? But he says, sustained interaction and the presence of God. That's what produces the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why we titled this series Farm to Table, because spiritual formation is not an overnight process or an overnight event. It's not something that we can microwave. It's something that God cultivates and develops within us. And the staff was reminding me this week that another reason why we came up with this title is because it communicates the fact that When when you buy produce that's farm to table, it's the best. Like you can't buy anything that compares with it. It's just, it's the richest, the best, the most flavorful. It lasts the longest. It just, it's like so different than anything that's store-bought. Similarly, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that you and I can just work hard and produce in our own flesh. It's something that God does within us that is far superior to anything that we could do on our own. And it comes from a relationship with God through Christ. The last thing that I think John is saying in his letter is that joy comes from knowing our destiny and our future. Joy comes from knowing where we're headed, our destiny, our future. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that the whole created universe knows that something is wrong the whole created universe every single part of it knows that it's broken that it's in need of fixing and it longs for the day when it's going to be reperfected and renewed to its original beauty and flawlessness not just us as human beings but the animal kingdom the whole physical world yearns and longs for that day when there are no more earthquakes, there are no more cyclones, there are no more natural disasters, there's no more evil or sin at work in the world, but God reigns upon the earth and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the day that we're all looking for. And in light of that, I love how someone once described the Christian life as as living in this tension between the now and the not yet. That's the tension that we live between, the now and the not yet. We have the reality of our present struggles and challenges, and we look forward to the not yet. All that is promised in Scripture that we know is certain because God has promised it, and He never breaks His promise. He's faithful and true. And so we look forward to the not yet, but we live right now in the middle, and we're caught in between that tension. And the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 8 he, he expresses that so beautifully. He says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And what's the result? And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The result of our faith is joy inexpressible. We can't contain ourselves. We don't even know how to articulate it. We don't know how to describe it to other people. It's just... It's brimming up. It's, it's spilling over in our life. And hopefully it's contagious for other people, even though we have a hard time explaining it and describing it in tangible terms. But that's the result of this faith that we've placed in God through Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata. You, you know her story. She's, you know, used to be a, a competition diver and swimmer, and she jumped in a pool one day, and now she's paralyzed from... The, the neck down for, for years and years and years now. And she's gone on to do amazing ministry and had this amazing attitude. And I love, I, I love what she says here. I have adopted what she said here for my own life challenge and theme. She says, When someone holds on to joy in spite of everything, I call it defiant joy. A person with defiant joy refuses to be squelched by negative voices or intimidated by overwhelming odds. Friends, that's my hope and prayer for every one of us, that we would have defiant joy. Like, I don't care what you say. I don't care what the world and the culture says about this situation. I don't care what the statistics are, what the odds say. I have defiant joy. Not because I'm irrational, and not because I'm not intellectual and well-read, and I've, I've studied, you know, the situation but because I believe in a God who can do above and beyond all that we ask or think or imagine according to his power at work within us. It's because we believe in a God who still works miracles today. And so, yes, we have human responsibility, but we also need to have defiant joy, which is independent of our circumstances and still looking for the hope that God has for us. Josh and Sean McDowell, Uh, Sean McDowell has been one of our regular speakers at Hume Lake at the Men's Retreat. They wrote a book together called The Resurrection in You, in which they remind us the world we live in now offers us a glimpse of the joys and the pleasures that we will experience when God brings the new heaven and the new earth. That's described in Revelation chapter 21. Then they quote Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven, when he says all of our lives we've been dreaming of the new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water or wind or flower or deer, man or woman or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. We will not live in a sterile environment or float about among endless clouds with nothing to do. We will live on an all new earth, just like this one, except free from storms, earthquakes, drought, floods, any other diseases or sins. Things will grow easily and weeds and thorns will not exist. Animals will not harm, but rather look to us benevolently as their leaders and benefactors. That's just a glimpse Just, you know, inadequate human words describing the glory that awaits us. And the trick as Christians is to live backward, to know what's promised in the future through Scripture, and to live in light of that that reality and those promises, and allow that present future hope to transform our present reality. That's what Christian joy is all about. Psalm 16, verse 11. King David says, You will make known to me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We're going to spend eternity in Christ's presence. And scripture says again and again in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Like, there's no opportunity for depression, there's no uh, even chance of feeling apathetic or complacent. It's just ecstatic, endless, complete joy not having any, anything lacking, anything broken within us. I, I can't even describe and imagine that. And I, I think about Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. You, you probably know it well. You know, those who, who respond to needs on this earth, and, and Jesus says, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And the recurrent response of Jesus to the sheep, to the people who reached out and met those needs in his name, is enter into the joy of your master every time. Enter into the joy of your Master. Like, this is what it's all about. And friends, my prayer and my desire for myself and for you is that entering into the joy of our Master is not something that we do one day when we die and go to heaven. It's something we do right now through our living relationship with God through Christ. It's it's something that God intends for us to enter into right now, moment by moment, day by day. And that's not a pipe dream. That is clearly possible through the Holy Spirit. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, I love his benediction to his letter, his short letter right before Revelation. He says, Now to Him, meaning God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. To Him be majesty, dominion, power, and authority, both now and forevermore. The reason why we will experience... Complete joy in God's presence is because we'll be blameless. Sin won't point its accusing finger at us anymore. There will be no more condemnation because it's been covered. It's been been taken care of. I love what the theologian J.I. Packer says. He says, hearts on earth say in the course of joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end, but invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. And there can be no better news than that. That's I I always say in that passage in 1 Thessalonians, it says that in the twinkling of an eye we'll be caught up and the dead in Christ will rise first and, you know, the last trumpet will sound and we'll be transformed into God's image, you know, as we see him. Paul ends that by saying, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Kind of like this is the way fairy tales end, that this is the way it's always going to be forevermore, unchangeable, unaffected. By any outside factor that can mess with that. That's what we look forward to. I want to draw some application today as we close and as we move into communion. Madeline L'Engle, or Madeline L'Engle, as I, I hear rightly pronounced. I read her books as a kid. I never had any idea what a devout Christian she was. And she said this in an interview, or actually she wrote a, a book besides Wrinkle in Time called A Stone for a Pillow, which... I have to believe, speaks of Christ. And she wrote in that book, I don't envy those who have never known any pain, physical or spiritual, because I strongly suspect that the capacity for pain and the capacity for joy are equal. Only those who have suffered great pain are able to know equally great joy. Friends, I don't understand why God allows the challenges and the trials that we go through in our life but I know that he's fitting us for glory. And I know that if the joy is, is equal to and surpasses what we go through, then, then bring it on. Because we're being prepared for that glory and for that joy that awaits us. And that's, that's an amazing thing to look forward to. Another person this week I read said, Love, joy, and all that other good stuff are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our own efforts. We can't produce them on our own, period. The fruit comes only as we submit our lives and let the Spirit control us. And so one of the applications this week is, again, as I said in starting this series, it's not, okay, week one I'm going to work on loving, week two I'm going to try and be joyful, then I'm going to try and be patient and kind, and oh my goodness. No. Experiencing God's fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, is a result of being surrendered to Him. Simply being obedient to Him. And as you are surrendered to Him and obedient to Him, these seeds, this fruit is already planted in your life as a believer. He is cultivating it. He is producing it. We just need to be surrendered and given over to Him. That He is the Lord. He is the Master. He calls the shots, not us. That's the trick to the the abundant life. I also love what uh, this missionary doctor, Albert Schweitzer, said. He said, One thing I know The only ones among you who will really be joyful are those who have sought and found how to serve. There's a man that lived into his 90s as a missionary doctor in the hardest conditions. He said, the one thing I know is that the only people that are truly joyful in this life are the ones who have discovered that joy is about serving other people. And so again, as we come full circle, in my opinion, joy is about our focus. And an outward focus that is serving others and and being the hands and the feet of Jesus in the lives of others rather than a narcissistic focus where it's all about me and everybody exists to serve my need. That's where joy comes from, that outward focus, not the inward focus. Finally, a quote from Henry Nowen. He says, we have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take that away from us. Friends, that's, that's Henry's beautiful way of describing Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nothing in all of the created universe is able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ And that brings joy. That brings joy when we finally believe that and live that way. How powerful that is. Another person said, joy is hearing the melody of heaven. Faith is dancing to it. So listening for what God is doing and and finding that beat and dancing to it. Joy is the music that plays when our hearts are tuned to the frequency of God's glory. Joy is the conviction that no matter the sadness of our circumstances or the weakness of our bodies... We are secure in the sovereign God who loves us. Friends, that's where joy comes from, not fretting about that I have to control the world and control situations and control people, but that I am under the care of a sovereign God who does all things well and who is in charge and control of everything. And as I live surrendered to Him, He he charts the course. I don't have to worry. I'm on autopilot, meaning not that I do nothing, (coughs) but I let Him make the call. You, you let him make the call, and your life is headed in the direction that he wants. I want to invite those who are serving us communion today forward, if they would come forward at this time, as we go into this time, I want to say a few words going into this. And I want to say that we have not experienced communion like this for about two years. So it's nice to actually be passing the bread and the cup again. And, and this morning we're doing something differently. We are going to pass the bread and the cup at the same time, And I'll have you guys wait until I pray, and then you can pass it out, but you can just stand ready to go. But we uh, are going to be passing the bread and the cup at the same time. We'll pray over it, but I want to give you two thoughts as we go into communion today. I read this, this week, these two things, and I thought this perfectly sets up communion. This person said, sin is the inevitable consequence of living. Mutual sin is the inevitable consequence of living together. Arguments and fault finding are defensive mechanisms to preserve an ego in trouble. Confession is the sacrifice of ego on the altar of love. And forgiveness, finally, is the balm of healing that soothes and heals the wounds of error. Finally, joy is the fresh new path stretching out before both the forgiver and the forgiven. Friends, this table today represents the joy that we have because of the forgiveness that we've experienced and that we pass on to others as well. And and I I love one of my favorite pastors back east, Lee Alcliffe. He writes this about communion, and I wanted you to be thinking about this as the elements are passed out today. He said, maybe some morning, instead of solemnly passing these trays out, we should dance for joy. Maybe we should sing every born-again song that we know, Maybe we should tell our homecoming stories and laugh like people who no longer fear death. Maybe we should ask if anyone wants seconds and hold our tiny cups high to toast lost sisters who are found and dead brothers who are alive. Let's pray.